When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having a fantastic Tuesday, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. we got a lot of stories to dive into uh, here as we power through the Tuesday edition. I uh, want to encourage you, as always, go subscribe. We've been doing Wins and Losses podcasts. Those are going fantastically well. Uh, Clay and Buck Show, tens of millions of you downloading those shows. Uh, make sure you go subscribe to Outkick the Show. It's up on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere else. I know most of you watch, uh, I believe anyway, video versions on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere else. Uh, but I would encourage all of you uh, to uh, to make sure that you are uh, checking this out and not missing uh, anything. Uh, all right. Uh, I got a bunch that I want to hit, but I want to start with this story which I believe is going to be the biggest story of 2023. You say, what do you think is the biggest story of 2023 going to be? I think it's going to be Donald Trump against Ron DeSantis for the Republican nomination. Now, certainly that will run into the early part of 2024. And I don't really think it's going to begin in earnest until the summer and the fall. But I expect that Ron DeSantis is going to announce that he's going to be running for president sometime around June. Uh, And Trump obviously expects that as well as he is taking all sorts of shots out there uh, at uh, Ron DeSantis. And for the most part, Ron DeSantis has avoided responding. But Trump said in many ways he considered it to be disloyal that, uh, that DeSantis was considering running against him because the reason why DeSantis won, maybe, in 2018, I think it's true, uh, to a large extent, is because Donald Trump gave his endorsement to Ron DeSantis. DeSantis went on to win the governorship of Florida in 18. Uh, and, and I do think there's some truth to that. But, and I, and I, I think this is worth, you know, kind of breaking down. This is, to me, not that much different than in athletics, Sometimes you have a backup quarterback that ends up getting the job and beating out the starting quarterback. That's how competition works. It's not disloyal for the backup quarterback to continue to put in the work and beat out the starting quarterback. And that can occur, by the way, at any position on the field. Memorably, one of the most iconic examples of this is Wally Pipp lost his starting job to Lou Gehrig, and then Lou Gehrig came in and started like whatever it was, 2,000 consecutive games. Wally Pipp never got his job back, back in the day, 1930s, I think, 1920s Yankees. And so, to me, DeSantis versus Trump is not going to be decided on loyalty. And what you're really seeing is Trump, I think, recognizes that, which is why Trump has tried to attack Ron DeSantis on his response to COVID. And this morning, DeSantis fired back, and I'm. this is not a direct quote, but it's a, a rough quote. As part of his answer, he said, 
the people render a judgment on re-election. And then he went in and said, in my case, they rendered, uh, I won by 19 points, DeSantis says this, which is the biggest victory that anybody's ever had uh, in the state of Florida as a Republican candidate. And what I thought was interesting was that's a pretty direct, while also simultaneously being a subtle shot at Trump. Because he's saying the people run render a judgment on re-election. Trump didn't win in 2020. And DeSantis is basically calling him out on that. And he's saying, on the other hand, I won re-election by 19 points, the largest victory margin in the state of Florida for any governor who's a Republican ever. And, uh, and, and so I'm curious how Trump is going to respond to this. And for people out there who say, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to decide. I don't know if I'm going to vote Trump. I don't know if I'm going to vote DeSantis. I get it. And some people out there may say, hey, I'm voting for Nikki Haley. And maybe you like Mike Pence. And maybe you like Mike Pompeo or Ted Cruz or any number of people out there who may be candidates in 2024. I get it. Understand it totally. But what I would say in general here is that there is a large uh, part of the base here uh, that recognizes that 2023, I think, is going to be a throwdown, haymaker, take the gloves off, and just wail on each other. That's where we're headed between Trump and DeSantis. And right now, you are starting to see the early jabs get landed in what I believe will turn into an epic battle between Trump and DeSantis over the 2024 nomination. And I think whichever Republican wins the 2024 nomination, I'm writing a book. It's going to be out in September. Uh, I think whichever Republican wins the 2024 nomination stands a very good chance to beat Joe Biden because I believe Democrats are trying to avoid the Kamala Harris disaster, uh, which is her as the next man or woman up for the job by running Joe Biden again, even though he's 82 years old and basically can't speak. Um, I really do believe they're going to do that. And so I think whoever the nominee is, whether it is DeSantis or Trump, will win in 24. So I think whoever the, whoever wins, and they know this, it's going to be the next president of the United States. Trump or DeSantis. A um, couple of different things that I think are, uh, are additionally worth hitting out here. Just see Steph Curry has, Steph Curry endorsed Joe Biden. Steph Curry, to me, seems like a nice guy. Uh, I believe Steph Curry is the most influential basketball player of his generation. Not best, most influential. Because I coached young kid basketball. All of them want to be Steph Curry. When I was a kid, everybody wanted to be Michael Jordan. Every kid wants to be Steph Curry. Uh, Why do they want to be Steph? Because they all want to stand outside and drain long-range jumpers. Steph expanded the realm of possibility in many people's minds by by draining these shots all over the country. Uh, And so there are kids now who grow up and they they look at LeBron and they say, hey, I'm never going to be the tallest. I'm never going to be the strongest guy on my team, but I can be like Steph Curry. I think he's revolutionized the game of basketball. I think he's the most influential player of his generation. He endorsed Joe Biden. That is his right. But Steph Curry and his wife Aisha live in a $30 million mansion in uh, the most expensive community in the country in California. 
uh, and that community, I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, one of our writers did a good job on this, Mark Harris. Uh, the Currys live in a town uh, called Atherton, California. Atherton, California, according to Facebook, is the single most expensive community in the entire country. One acre of land in Atherton would cost $8 million. Uh, and they have a $30 million mansion there. And there now is a, uh, a, a desire in the town of Atherton to upzone a one and a half acre lot so there could be 16 three-story townhomes. And the townhomes would be on the lot behind the Curries, and the Curries are fighting against it. Um, and the goal of the three-story townhomes is, and this is a major issue for those of you who live in California in high-density communities, you know what I'm talking about. There's not enough housing and certainly not enough affordable housing in many of these California cities, San Francisco at the absolute apex of this, LA as well, because they've limited how much housing can be built. And so they're trying to build housing. So if you happen to be a school teacher or a police officer or a firefighter, that you could, postal or uh, postal service guy, that you could live near the community that you might work in. And the Curries are fighting against this. And in their letter, it says, uh, we want to send a note before today's meeting. Safety and privacy for us and our kids continue to be our top priority. One of the biggest reasons we chose Atherton as home. And in this situation, they are saying they don't want low-income residents to live near them because their family will not be safe. Now, now, kind of a limousine liberal move. You move to the wealthiest community in America. Steph Curry probably makes over $50 million a year combined when you talk about his MBA salary plus his endorsement income. Good for him. I'm a capitalist. I want everybody to make as much money as they possibly can. But can you imagine arguing that you can't live in a close proximity to townhomes because your kids won't be safe while simultaneously claiming that you are a social justice warrior? Seems to be a great deal of hypocrisy there for Curry to be arguing that his family won't be safe if there's townhomes near them. Why? Are the people who live in townhomes dangerous? Are they too poor to come into proximity of your kids? This is an ugly and bad look. A hypocritical one to be certain for the Curries. You make $50 million a year. Sell your house and move. If you're that troubled by the idea that there might be shutter townhomes nearby. <laughs> I just... I just think this is amazing because there's so many people who consider themselves to be social justice warriors until there's any impact whatsoever of any smidge of equality or actual equity in their real neighborhood. Not in my backyard, literally, can there be townhomes, according to Steph Curry. Why didn't you just buy the one and a half acre lot behind your property if you were that concerned about your family's safety? Why don't you just build your own fence? Oh, it's amazing how many people build fences and walls, isn't it? 
when there's actually danger afoot in their mind? How many of you live close to townhomes? How many of you with a straight face could argue that your family's not safe because your house is too close to townhomes in the wealthiest community in the entire nation? I just want all of you to think about what rank hypocrisy this is and frankly how common it is in the larger context as it pertains to so many left-wing social justice warriors. Townhomes! Oh my goodness! That not super wealthy people could buy. Because remember, Steph Curry's not afraid of a super rich person building a house on that lot. It's only if there are townhomes that his family will not be safe. It's pretty crazy. Um, Bill Maher is headed to CNN and people have lost their minds over Bill Maher potentially going to CNN. Now, I don't think... Yesterday, I told you CNN had hit a nine-year low in ratings. I understand that's not ideal, uh, but they got to do something to deal with this nine-year low. So CNN, and I'm reading from my guy Bobby Barak's article on uh, OutKick, CNN announced plans to air a segment of Bill Maher's HBO program on Fridays. Uh, The network, instead of using CNN Tonight, uh, will broadcast Maher's post-show segment Overtime in an effort to uh, to, uh, increase overall ratings. And the left-wing blue checks have lost their minds over this. This guy, Sink, says, Bill Maher's actually perfect for CNN. False equivalencies, propping up right-wing culture war talking points, fighting for the status quo, and that snug face. Smug face. Tapper might get jealous because he might be outsmugged. Mehdi Hassan, who argued, by the way, the other day that all police should be abolished, uh, said, Bill Maher's obsessed with this idea that cancel culture is out of control. Yet Maher himself just got a new CNN gig, despite saying outrageous things about Muslims, Arabs, and trans people, making crass jokes about Asians, and using the N-word on TV. Cancel culture, okay. Yeah, cancel culture's a thing. It doesn't mean that everyone deals with it, right? They tried to cancel Bill Maher. He just fought through it. Our good buddy Keith Olbermann, who is actually mentally deranged. So Bill Maher's leftovers will run on CNN Friday night as a veteran guest on that show. Not that this is going to top the CNN 92K demo rating average. What about the profanity? I mean, these people are crazy. These people are crazy. I I don't know when it became a badge of honor to say this show can't exist. But my goodness, the left wing has taken it and run with it. Now, I'll make fun of shows. The View is one of the dumbest shows that has ever existed in the history of television. Okay? It just is. The people on The View are incredibly dumb as well. I don't know if all the people that work on The View behind the scenes are dumb, but it is legitimately the dumbest show on television. I don't think it should be canceled. There's lots of dumb people. If they want to watch The View, that's their right, okay? I don't believe that any entertainment option should be canceled if people are interested in watching it. The market can decide. But my goodness, isn't it amazing how many people on the left wing in this country 
demand that someone not be able to have a television show or radio show or podcast or Twitter feed. And I just want to ask you this. When have the people demanding that there be less free speech ever ended up on the wrong, the right side of history in the long run? These people claim that they are on the right side of history when you're canceling comedians and telling people that they can't have television shows because you disagree with the opinions they share, you're actually proving the point that they make. And the marketplace is actually proving how wrong you are. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Clay Travis, and I'll kick the show. is going to keep right on rolling. Uh, I, I saw this, and, and look, I am far from an expert in women's tennis. In fact, I know almost nothing about women's tennis right now. But I had a clip that I shared last night uh, from a women's tennis player named Victoria Azarenka. And Azarenka is a 33-year-old women's tennis player uh, from Belarus. Uh, And she now lives in the United States. I think she's a citizen here. She made the semifinals of the Aussie Open. And there was a question she was asked about the Russia-Ukraine-related conflict after her match at the Australian Open. And she actually had a great response. And again, I'm paraphrasing. Maybe we can grab that clip and share it in here. But she basically said, it doesn't matter what I say in response to this. You're going to write whatever you want to write. And the idea that you're asking a question of an athlete is the fig leaf that permits you to write your own political opinion. And I thought it was very well said especially to not be in her native language. English is not her native language. Uh, But her point is one that I would encourage many other athletes to adopt. If you are asked about a controversial political or social issue, turn that question back on the questioner. Uh, I'll just give you an example. If somebody says to me, uh, I'm an athlete, hey, what do you think about abortion? Uh, you should respond, in my opinion, if you don't want to wade, you're certainly welcome to share whatever opinion you have on any topic. But if you're just an athlete, you'd rather be talking about the sporting event that you just competed in. Turn the question back on the questioner. What do you think about abortion? Tell me your exact opinion here in this forum and see what the questioner says. And my reason for this is, and I think athletes have become very astute about this, The sports media member is asking a non-sports question so that they then have the ability to tell everyone what their opinion is. That's fine. Everybody should feel comfortable sharing their opinion on every subject under the sun. I appreciate and respect it. But here's the deal. Don't try and hide it by asking an athlete their opinion and then writing a story based on it, right? Oh, there's a backlash to this athlete's opinion. You'll see those stories all the time. Just tell us what your actual opinion is. If you're in the world of sports, you are there to cover Victoria Azarenka's match. You can write whatever opinion you have of that match. But a lot of sports media get bored with that. And so they decide they want the athletes to be their pathway to write and talk about something other than the sport. We saw this with that idiot uh, on uh, NHL Network, EJ Radic, when he decided to say that Provorov should go back to Russia and engage in a war. 
that was really just a cover for him to share his own left-wing political opinions. That's fine. Don't hide it in sports. Don't use an athlete as your avenue to be able to share that perspective. Just tell us what you actually think. You don't need to try to use the athlete as the vehicle to allow us to see what you truly believe. And that's why I thought Azarenka did such a great job responding to that question. Because really, it's just about that sports media member wanting to share their opinion. That is the essence of all of this. And she flipped it on its face and she called him out. And I thought she did a phenomenal job. Uh, Joe Biden. According to the Wall Street Journal, there was a search of Joe Biden's Penn Biden Center on uh, by the FBI. We don't know the official date yet. Uh, but my question for all of you out there is, why did it take three months for this story to come out? And why have we still never seen any photos from that FBI raid? Remember how the FBI leaked photos of their Mar-a-Lago raid? They just threw things on the floor and they took a picture and they were like, look how scandalous it was inside of Mar-a-Lago. Here are these documents that were there. Why are they protecting Joe Biden? Why did we not know until the last day of January, courtesy of a Wall Street Journal report, that there had actually been an FBI raid of Joe Biden's private office in November? Why did it take three months for us to find that out? Why are they protecting Joe Biden? Why are they not treating him the exact same way as they did Trump? I mean, the answer is, of course, because there's rampant favoritism inside of the Department of Justice, which is run by Joe Biden's court-appointed selection, Merrick Garland. All of this, though, is a perfect opportunity for you to consider the two different ways these stories were covered. Think about the feverish coverage, the fury, the, uh, the, the panic that the left wing in this country undertook when Donald Trump was being raided and and compare it to what's happened with Joe Biden so far and the way that all of that has gone down. Speaking of Joe Biden, um, he is going to end the COVID emergency effective May the 11th. Now, this is wild because the COVID emergency was actually put in place in January of 2020. So we now are going to go nearly three and a half years under the COVID emergency. And if you're out there and you're saying, okay, it's almost February, why do we need all this time to run up to it? It's because Joe Biden is actually combating his own party in ending the COVID emergency on May 11th. The House of Representatives has voted that the COVID emergency should be over, should stop using an excuse to fund different projects. Remember, Joe Biden tried to use COVID emergency to justify an eviction moratorium, to justify a COVID shot mandate, uh, to come out and uh, create a uh, a student loan uh, removal, basically putting $400 billion at least of student loan obligations from the individual students who took out the loans onto the federal government's shoulders. He tried to use COVID as an emergency in all those cases to justify his behavior. And He's not going to end it until May 11th, but, and this is significant, every Democrat in the House just voted against the idea of ending uh, the, uh, the COVID emergency. Every, this is Greg Price put this up, every Democrat in the House just voted against proceeding with debate on bills that would end the COVID national health emergency uh, and 
in the COVID vax mandate for federal healthcare workers. They won't even do that. And I saw this, uh, and I think it ties in. And this is, by the way, is despite the fact that Joe Biden said in a 60 Minutes interview in September that COVID was over. Um, but when you look at, uh, at what was going on, MSNBC, as it pertains to the COVID shot in particular, had a host named Yasmin uh, Vosijan. I think I got that name right. She told viewers that her January was awful because she got myocarditis from a cold. Now, I don't remember this being very common. She said, also, I used to run seven miles every other day. I was super healthy. She's in her early 40s. Isn't it amazing? She's fully COVID-shotted. She's gotten all of these these treatments. Isn't it amazing how many people out there uh, are refusing to acknowledge that the COVID shot might in any way have massively increased the number of people that are having heart-related issues who are otherwise extremely healthy. Isn't that kind of extraordinary? And shouldn't a truly independent press that was only concerned with pursuing the truth actually be investigating Pfizer and Moderna to determine whether or not there is a situation at play here where the COVID shot is making many people who are otherwise healthy and had no need for COVID unhealthier and causing a massive increase overall in myocarditis. And what does it say about MSNBC? I hope some of those viewers have alarm bells going off as Buck and I were just talking and discussing. How often have you ever even heard of myocarditis before COVID. And now it feels like it's a very commonplace discussion, particularly for otherwise young and healthy people. This is a real issue that should be given real attention, that should be examined in a significant fashion, particularly because we know the COVID shots don't work very well and they certainly are unnecessary for young and healthy people. Why is that conversation unacceptable? Why is almost no one having it? That, my friends, is a question that I think if we had a truly independent media would probably be the biggest story in the country right now. I love all of you. DBAP, unless we need to SBAP. I'm Clay Travis. This has been Outkick the Show.